So our scripture text this morning uh, is from the first chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, verses 1 to 13. This week and next week as we uh, lead up to to Christmas, we're going to be looking at this first part of the Gospel of John, the section of John's Gospel that is commonly referred to as the prologue. Uh, uh, That means word at the beginning, the prologue. Uh, The setup, the the, the very uh, start to the account of the life and the death of Jesus that, that John gives us. And in what we have in John chapter 1 here is, is the Christmas story. Now, it's not in the traditional uh, narrative sense. What John is doing here in his uh, telling of the Christmas story is a little bit different because John doesn't give us any of the details, the historical, the narrative details of uh, the birth of Jesus. Instead, what John does is he focuses on the big why, the reason for Christmas, uh, the, 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 the greater understanding of what is happening uh, in that Christmas narrative. Now, that's what we get here, and that's what I want to look at this week, and I want to look at next week. So if you have a Bible, and you're looking at John chapter 1, or if you want to look at the words that are on the uh, screen behind me, let me invite you to, to stand as I read these words. This is God's Word, and I'm going to make that declaration when I'm done. Uh, and when I say that, when I say this is God's Word, I invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. John chapter 1. Starting at verse 1, reading through verse 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, not anything made that not, without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Five years ago, when we moved into our home here in uh, in this community, we were informed on our block of a Christmas decorating uh, responsibility that we had. As far as I can tell, it's it's not in the deed. Uh, There's no legal enforcement to it, but apparently there was a rule that every house uh, on this block put white Christmas lights on their trees out front every Christmas. Uh, And everyone's very nice about it, but around about this time of the the month, if it hasn't happened yet, it's very possible that you would get offers of uh, assistance. Can we we help you uh, with uh, with your lights this year? Now, the end effect is really cool. And what I love about it is that at a time of the year when daylight is the shortest uh, and when night is the darkest, our street is the brightest that it is all year long. Here in the first part of John chapter 1, we see one of the most prominent Christmas themes in our culture, the theme of light. It's everywhere. People put lights on things. We light things up at Christmas. We put it on our trees, on our houses. We put candles in our windows. We, we put spotlights on our, on our front doors. Light is everywhere. So let's think for a few minutes about this because that's, that theme is, is just everywhere in the text that we just 
read, the biblical significance of light as it relates to Christmas. Because this is part of how we piece together the meaning of what Christmas is. Now let's look at it in three, three points as we kind of think about this. The need for the light, needing the light. Knowing the light. How do we know what the light is? What's this light that we're talking about? And finally, sharing the light. Needing the light, knowing the light, and sharing the light. Now, first, needing the light. And to understand our need for the light, we really need to consider the darkness that is mentioned here. And that's really in verse 5. Verse 5 is really, so if, of the 13 verses, if we were to pick a, it, sort of the key theme verse of, of, of this text, it would be verse 5. That's why I kind of put it there as the summary. The summary this week is just verse 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. But the key to understanding darkness is really in that phrase. The darkness has not overcome it. Which is a little bit, if you kind of think about it, it's like that's a little bit of a head scratcher. What is that talking about? And, and actually, it's been a head scratcher for, for a lot of people over time. It's a head scratcher to a certain extent for the translators because that, that overcome, that word there for overcome, that verb, is not an easy word to, to translate, or so I'm told. And if you, if you look at some of the different English translations, you see this. Some, like our translation, the one that we read from, says the darkness has not overcome the light. Others, though, will say something like the darkness has not understood the light. The darkness has not comprehended the light. And you kind of say, well, they, initially you might say they sound really, they sound different. It sounds like you're talking about two different, overcome the light, understood the light, what's it talking about? Now, I think there's good reason, and I don't have time to get into it, why overcome is probably the better of the translations to use that. Right? So we should be comfortable with with what we just read, but one of, the, one of the technical commentators suggests, and others that I read agreed, that this may be another example of John using a word that has, that has a, a double or a more nuanced meaning and, a meaning and doing it on purpose. Uh, D.A. Carson, the New Testament scholar, calls what John is doing here a masterpiece of planned ambiguity. In other words, he's using a word that intentionally brings in multiple facets, and it's really helpful to us, understand, to us understanding what the darkness is all about. Right? In other words, these two options, overcome, the darkness has not overcome, and the darkness has not understood, they actually overlap. Right? One of the suggested ways that you can think about it is with the English word master, right? to master something. It actually can be used in those same two senses, right? You can say that the wrestler in the match mastered his opponent, right? He overcame him and he defeated him. Or you can also say that a student mastered his chemistry assignment, right? Understood it, grasped it, got it, I master it. Now, in my case, I, chemistry was probably more something to overcome than to understand, but, but you, see, you see, how, see how one word can sort of take into account both of those ideas. In any event, the point is this, and this is why I go through the whole translation thing, because at the root of the darkness, this, this, this imagery here, is both ignorance of God, right, a, a lack of understanding, and hostility to God, right, a, a, a conflict, a desire to be the one who overcomes, to win, right? We both, we, we, we simultaneously in the darkness don't know God and hate him. The darkness doesn't understand the light, and the darkness is hostile to the light. Ignorance is a problem, no doubt about it, right? The darkness of, those, uh, of this world is a result, as far as it goes, of an ignorance of the light, an ignorance of, of God. And so the people must know. They must be informed. They must be told about Jesus. Ignorance must be solved. The gospel is, is news to be shared, right? But biblical darkness is, is more than just ignorance. 
Biblical darkness is hostility. Jesus actually said two chapters later in John, in John chapter 3, he says, everyone who does wicked things, this is John 3.20, hates the light. Not just is ignorant of the light, hates the light. Hostility. A desire to, to overcome, not just to understand. The world is not just ignorant of God, the world is at war with God, which is also why the consequence of those who who love their sin, who insist on making themselves as the ruler of their own lives. That's why it is perfectly appropriate for God to act justly in response to that by by judging with darkness. And we see that theme throughout Scripture too. Darkness is not just the the reason for sin. Darkness is also the consequence of, of sin. Do you remember when the people were in slavery in Egypt? God's people, thousands of years before Jesus, right? They were in slavery in Egypt. And God sent... Moses to tell Pharaoh the king of Egypt you better let my people go or else and Pharaoh's basic response was or else what that was his response and God sent 10 plagues 10 judgments for their hostility towards God and one of them the ninth right the penultimate the one right before the angel of death himself comes in the 10th plague the ninth plague was do you know darkness This is Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 to 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Darkness for three days. Pitch darkness, a darkness that can be felt. Sometimes you can actually feel the darkness. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about Corrie Ten Boom, the Christian woman from the Netherlands who was imprisoned during the Second World War by the, by the Nazis for helping the Jews. Uh, in the first facility where she was being held, the initial holding uh, facility, the, the prison after her arrest, she had an interesting interaction, a number of interactions actually, with a Nazi officer who was questioning her about the things that she was doing. And in the first uh, interview, the first time they sat down together, Corrie had mentioned the Bible to him, a book she said with truth. And she was worried. She said, I probably overstepped my bounds. This is probably going to get me in more trouble. I probably should have kept, uh, been a little bit more circumspect. But she was, but, but that's what she said. Now the next day, the lieutenant comes back to sit down with her again, interview number two. And to her surprise, he says to her, I could not sleep last night thinking about the book where you have read such different ideas. And, she, and he asked her, what else does it say in there? So she's like, all right, if I'm going to be bold and I'm going to be be potentially stupid and kind of saying too much, let me go for it. And she says, well, that book says that there is a light that has come into the world and that we need no longer walk in the dark. And then she said to this Nazi lieutenant, is there darkness in your life, lieutenant? And after a long silence, and she wasn't sure how he was going to respond, he said, there is a great darkness. He said, I cannot bear the work I do here. Corey told him again. She said, light can shine even in such a darkness as yours. At that moment, he said, he adjusted his cap because the sun was shining. They were outside and the sun glinted off the skull and crossbones on his Nazi insignia. And he said to her, what can you know of darkness like mine? The last time they met, he confided in her. He said, you know, it's possible to you, woman, that I appear to you a powerful person. I wear a uniform, 
I have a certain authority over those under me, but I am in prison, dear lady, a prison stronger than this one. Imprisoned by the darkness, a darkness that can be felt, a darkness that enslaves. That's what sin is. That's what sin does, and that's where sin leads. You might not be a Nazi officer, but what might that be for for you? What imprisons you? What do you fear? What do you give yourself to that seems right in the moment, but that ultimately leads deeper and deeper into darkness? That's point number one. We desperately need the light. But thankfully, as Corey Ten Boom herself told her captor, Jesus is the light the Bible shows to me, the light that can shine even in darkness such as yours. That's point number two, knowing the light. Now, anyone will tell you that when it comes to knowing something, the knowledge of something, there's two ways of really knowing something, and both are critical. First, you need to rightly understand something. You need to factually know something in order to know it. You need to know it with your head, to put it like that. But second, you need to trust in that something. You need to agree with it. You need to bow to it. You need to know it with your heart, if you put it like that. And we see both of those elements here when it comes to the light that John is telling telling us about, the light that shines in the darkness. The first part of knowing the light is to just simply know about it. What are we talking about? Who is this this light that John is talking about? And John helps us with that. He helps us with our our ignorance. He fills the knowledge gap. I don't have time to go into all the detail here, but but follow with me here what John is, is doing. He tells us in some of the most beautiful poetic language in the New Testament, and that I garbled as I was reading it, but, it, but it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Verses 1 to 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The Word. John says, you want to understand the light? You want to know what it's talking about? You need to understand the Word. And he uses this concept, this idea of the Word, to help us understand what the light is, right? Because that, that, that term, the word, would have had huge significance both to a Hebrew and to a Gentile audience, both to the Jews and to the Greeks. Now, to the Jewish people, the idea of God's word would have been well understood. This is the instrument of God's creation, right? That's what John's echoing in the, when he kind of uses the same language as the creation account from Genesis 1. In the beginning, that's how John starts. In the beginning, that's how Genesis one start God the the word created right because how did God create he spoke and it came into existence that's what Genesis 1 and 2 says God spoke he spoke he created by his word and that's what exactly what what John is saying here now it's not just in Genesis right the word of God is prominent throughout the the history of God's people Moses brings the word of the Lord to Pharaoh thus says the Lord the prophets brought the word of the Lord to the to the people right the word was is what was written down and given to Moses in the, in the law. And in the Psalms, actually, the connection is made between the word of God and the light for God's people. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is the light. To the Jewish audience, it would have been hugely significant that John is using this language. But also to the Greek audience, right? Also a deep meaning because John uses this word, this word logos and this term has a rich history in Greek philosophy. See, the Greeks didn't believe that the world was just chaos. They believed that it was held together by some sort of reason, some sort of all-encompassing 
thing, and they didn't really know how to describe it, or, but they gave it a, a term, and they gave it a name, and that name was the logos. It was the, the reason. It was what held all things together. And so what John is doing here, and it's masterful, is he's saying to the Jews and to the Greeks, that word is now here. He's come into the world, and he's personal. And these first three verses tell us a little bit about him, right? The word was with God, not just with God. The word was also God, and the word is personal in him, it says. It doesn't say in it, right? In him, the word is alive, and the word is light. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. You see what John is claiming. He's claiming that Jesus is both what the Jews and what the Greeks were looking for what they've been looking for all along. The Greeks were looking for the logos, the reason, the thing that holds everything together, gives the universe meaning. And John says, here he is. Here's the light who shines into your ignorance, the eternal word who gives meaning to the universe. And he's able to do that because he created it. The light that shines into your ignorance and reveals what you've been looking for. That's what he was saying to the Greeks, to the Jews, right? They were desperately waiting for the light. When's the light gonna come? Now John's saying, look, this is what's been prophesied, right? It's the dawn that, that, that Malachi uh, prophesied when he said, the sun of righteousness shall rise, S-U-N, the sun shall rise, and you'll see. Even Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, because of the tender mercy of our God, this is what it says in, uh, in, in, in his song, talking about what God was doing through, through John the Baptist, right? So the, the sunrise shall visit from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And he, in that statement, was only echoing what the prophet Isaiah had said. The Jews had been waiting for the light, and now John says, here he is. The sun is risen, rising after the long night, the light that shines into your uncertainty and reveals what you've been waiting for. The light is here. And in case there was any wondering about the identity the human identity of this light. Jesus would make that very, very clear later. John chapter 8. He said, I'm the light of the world. <laughs> you you want to know the identity? You want to you know who that person is? It's me. I am the light. I take the claim of that title. And then he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You have to understand, in order to know the light, you have to first understand who is this light. And John tells us that. He fills the gap of our ignorance. But we said... Knowing the light is more than just overcoming ignorance. It's more than just having the right facts. Knowing the light is submitting yourself to him. Right? Knowing the light is, is for the light to not just educate your ignorance, but for the light to overcome your, your hostility. To receive him, it says in verse 12, to believe in his name and to thereby become children of God. And to do that, to become a child of God, that takes a lot more than just head knowledge. Right? It requires a surrender of the will. And that only happens by, by a rebirth. That's what it says in verse 14. To be born. To be born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, only God's supernatural work can give us new birth into God's family. I, you may remember the great hymn from uh, Charles Wesley. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. See, Corey Timboom, she could tell the lieutenant about the light, but he was still in prison. Only the supernatural work of God can make a dungeon flame with light, can make the chains fall off. 
Nothing else can bring the rebirth that we, that we need. Not physical descent, right? What family you're in. That can point you to the light, but that won't give you the new birth. Not intelligence, not human effort. Only the work of God can bring light into the, into the darkness. Can inform your ignorance, yes, but overcome your hostility as well so that you can know the light. Now here's the question though. And here's the really important thing that kind of completes the circuit, if I'm going to use the light <laughs> metaphor, right? This is what flips the switch and completes the circuit. How does this happen? How does this light come in to us and transform us? How is that possible? If we walk in darkness, and as Jesus said, if we at walking in darkness hate the light, how can that happen? How can we be transformed? How can those with open hostility towards God be forgiven for their pursuit of the darkness? And this is how it happens. This is how the light does it. This is how Jesus the light accomplishes that. He does it by experiencing the darkness himself. John hints at it, that this is what's going to happen. That the light who comes into the world, that that light is going to be rejected, right? He was the light the Greeks longed for, but what does it say in verse 10, right? They, the world, they did not know him. He was the light that the Jews waited for, but what does it say in verse 11? But his own people did not know him. Right? Jews and Romans, both were ignorant and both were hostile. And that's all of us then. Combine the Jews and the Gentiles and that's all of us. Right? That, they didn't recognize him either as the rightful king or as the promised Messiah. But see, it was through that hostility, that darkness, that would lead to the ultimate arrest and execution of Jesus. And it was through that darkness that the light of the world would finally gain the victory over darkness. Right? And that's what Jesus did. Right? In fact, it was the willingness of Jesus to subject himself to the darkness of God's judgment that enables us to receive the light. That's how it happens. Because he said, I'll take the darkness. Right? He was arrested at night under the cover of darkness. When they came for him in the garden, that's what he told them. He said, this is your hour, the hour of the power of darkness. And then in the most powerful image, when Jesus hung on the cross, both Matthew and Mark, they record, from the sixth hour, that's 12 noon, to the ninth hour, that's three o'clock in the afternoon, right? There was darkness over the whole land. As Jesus hung on the cross, that's what happened, right? What's going on there? What does that mean? Remember Exodus 10, when the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land. The judgment of God descending on the land, on Egypt, for three days, that preceded the final plague where the firstborn sons of Egypt were killed. And now, here, as Jesus hangs on the cross, the darkness descending on the land for three hours that would precede the death of the son, not the son of Egypt's king, but the death of Jesus, who was the eternal son of God. Right? Folks, this is our rescue. The judgment of God absorbed by God himself, the darkness descending on the incarnate light of the world and him absorbing that darkness on our behalf. Darkness for three hours at the crucifixion. God's judgment on Jesus, not for his sins, but for ours. Now, of course, all that is future, right? That's not what Christmas is about. But if you don't understand where Christmas is leading, then you don't understand the meaning of Christmas, it's just a cute little story that you can have children, you know, in a, in, a, in a play. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if it just stays there and you don't understand why it's happening, you don't understand why the light of the world came into the darkness, then you will not get the meaning of Christmas. 
The light of the world came into the darkness to shine in the darkness so that he could absorb the darkness so that we might be able to experience the light forever. That is the gospel. That's what it means to know the light. Now, sharing the light. Once you know the light, your mission, our mission, is not all that different than John the Baptist. Did you see what his mission was? Verses 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Church, this is our job. All right, that's the job of our children. All right, we're not the light. You are not the answer, but we bear witness to the light. Uh, some of you may remember a, a part of a story that I told a couple years ago, around this time of year, actually. I went back and, and looked it up. It's from the novel, The Baker's Secret, uh, about a small French town uh, on the coast of Normandy, also during the Second World War, during the German occupation. About a young French woman, it's a fictional account, but it's about a young French woman named Emma, a baker who becomes the leader of a, uh, an underground bartering network in town. Basically, she kind of just took things around to people, made sure people had what they needed in order to survive. Now, here's what's relevant this morning. When we baptize a little girl and welcome her into the Calvary family, in the novel, Emma, for all of her resourcefulness and scrappiness, she's gotten by this point to be a little bit cynical. And it's understandable living in an environment like that. And on one day, on one of her visits late in the war, in the spring of 1944, as the story goes, she visits the home of a young man and a young woman. And as she enters the house, she sees the young woman of the house sitting on a, on a chair, wrapped in a blanket, nursing her newborn baby girl, just two hours old. And the father is standing next to them, and he's just glowing. And he insists that Emma hold her newborn, uh, his newborn baby daughter. And he, and he says, isn't she beautiful? And all Emma can think is, what were they thinking? To bring a child into a time of war. What did they imagine her life would be like? Garrett and Marissa people will say things like that today right? in a world filled with with so much darkness and you may be tempted to ask yourselves that question at times right? little starlin may ask you that question what were you thinking but see this is how this is how you must answer when it happens this is what you need to remember in the novel emma reluctantly takes the newborn baby girl into her arms and the girl's father says her name is Gabrielle. And Emma said, was there somebody in your family named uh, uh, Gabrielle? Is it a family name? And, and, and the father corrects her and says, no, 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 no. No, mademoiselle. She's named after the archangel Gabriel, God's messenger who delivered the news of salvation because she will be the one who tells our story. He says, long after you and I are gone, the child who was born into this world will be our messenger to the future. She will describe how it was in this time and this place and how we survived until the rescue came. Garrett and Marissa, this is why it is a very good thing for Starlin to be born. Because Lord willing, long after the two of you are gone, after many, most of us in this church are gone, Starlin will be our messenger into the future. Right? She will carry the news of an eternal word of God, the light of the world that has shone into the darkness. She will tell that gospel to a generation yet unborn. 
She will take the promise that is signified in the waters of baptism and she will proclaim its hope. And it will not be the story of human will and survival that she'll tell. Not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man. Now it will be the story of a sacrificial rescue accomplished by a Savior Jesus Christ. A rescue accomplished and secured when he hung in the darkness. A darkness that we deserved so that we might experience forever eternal light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for shining light into the darkness. Thank you for this family and the mission and the role that you have given to us to support and to encourage one another. And until that day when you come and you return, Lord, we pray that we would be messengers of the light, the hope that we can be freed, that the dungeon doors can be opened, that our chains can fall off, and that we can go forth and follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.